You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. They haven't got all the permits they need, but they want to start cutting trees. ACP and MVP are not wasting any time on this. It's Saturday morning. They're creating huge problems. If they don't get that permit, those trees are down forever. This is episode 12, our first new episode since the State Water Control Board meetings, and our first new episode of 2018. A lot has happened since December. We have a new governor now, a new General Assembly session has entered its crossover phase, and tree cutting has officially begun on the route of Dominion's Atlantic Coast Pipeline. So this is the beginning of tree clearing in Buckingham County on property for which the ACP has easements. You'll notice that every truck here is from out of state. And so we are progressing down an access road that we are allowed to be on. Pipeline opponents have begun to notice a trend. Whether it's FERC permits or court decisions, bad news comes to the public late in the week on Friday evenings. And on Friday, January 19th, FERC issued a notice to proceed to the ACP in order to begin hand-cutting trees and finishing survey work on properties for which they already have easements. It was around 5 o'clock at the end of the work week. The late night, let's put out the bad news and then go home and hope everybody's not too upset with us come Monday morning thing. That's Vanessa. She's an indigenous woman from North Carolina who, after experiencing firsthand the events at Standing Rock in North Dakota, has been fighting both the ACP and MVP here at home in Virginia. Saturday morning, um, roughly around 8 o'clock, tree clearing had begun in Buckingham County, very close to Yogaville. Some of us went up to see what was going on, and we tried to engage the workers. We did have out our phones, and we were taking some video. Hey. Hello. Are y'all out surveying today? I see. Are y'all out surveying today? Well, you are. We take pictures. Yes. Yeah, we can take a picture. It's a, we're on a public road. I'm just asking if you're surveying or if you're cutting. I like the machetes, by the way. Are you from Virginia? Lainey Sullivan and her partner Jameson happened to be at Yogaville on the Saturday morning that tree cutting began. And along with Vanessa, they went down to find out what exactly was happening. Yogaville is under a mile from where the ACP plans to horizontally drill beneath the James River. Laney noted that when the Buckingham County Board of Supervisors gave their approval for the pipeline's compressor station in January of 2017, they did so under the guise that local residents would reap the benefits of jobs from the pipeline company. But as you can see... Ohio, Utah, all, all people from the other dudes from Louisiana, none of these folks are from Virginia. None ACP is only contracting national companies. They're not contracting local companies. One of Buckingham County's main economic industries is timber and logging. Those who happened to be on the scene that day tried to engage the workers to find out if they were there to survey or to cut trees. They would not answer us. They got in their vehicles, rolled up 
the windows and locked the doors like we were criminals. There were four of us. They eventually rolled down a window. All they said was, here's a card, Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Talk to Aaron Ruby here. I'll turn it around so that you can see it better. Atlantic Coast Pipeline, general inquiries, email, Aaron Ruby, Dominion's public relations person. That's what our governor says. We're going to create a lot of jobs in the state of Virginia, except none of them will be for Virginians, apparently. They are down here cutting uh, limbs, at least, we can see, because they have machetes with them. However, by the next day, it was clear that ACP had done much more than cut limbs. Traveling toward the Yogaville community, a large swath of fallen trees lay piled up on the side of the road. Because they haven't been granted an effective water permit to date, ACP is currently only allowed to hand-cut trees with machetes or chainsaws. They cannot uproot or clear trees from the land. According to the DEQ and FERC, tree clearing would fall under the definition of land disturbance, while tree cutting does not. But pipeline opponents are wary of the damage that is done by tree cutting alone, especially at a time when neither the ACP nor the MVP have sediment and erosion control plans approved. They're creating huge problems. If they don't get that permit, those trees are down forever. There's been expert testimony that talks about how vegetation, especially um, tree canopies and brush, help control soil. It also helps control how fast water rolls in and what rolls in to the creeks and the rivers and the lakes. And uh, with them doing this cutting, they've destroyed that. And if they don't get that permit, it, this is permanent damage that is not going to be be able to be fixed for a very long time. You can't just prop those trees back up. You have already created an environmental problem for waterways. Just as it begins tree cutting along the route where it has easements, ACP is simultaneously in the process of suing landowners for immediate possession of the land that they do not yet have easements for. And though there's been resistance to surveying an eminent domain along the route of both pipelines, the two companies have chosen different strategies when it comes to suing for eminent domain. So we've lived here. This is our 38th year this month. The land around us here, all this would be flattened and, you know, compressed. It would just be red mud. Franklin County red, red mud is kind of legendary. It's really an intense color. Anne and Steve Bernard live in Franklin County. They met years ago while in art school at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. They're among the 296 landowners taken to court by Mountain Valley Pipeline in a massive case spanning two long days, just a month after MVP received a water permit from the State Water Control Board. Right by the woods, it's gonna come straight down that hill and across this field, jump this creek that you just crossed to get in our yard, and then that's our front field out there, four acres. In an unguarded moment, one of the fellows described the uh, construction equipment as bigger than anything you've ever seen. 
along with hundreds of their neighbors across Franklin, Roanoke, Giles, Craig, and Montgomery counties, Anne and Steve are being sued by MVP for saying no to the pipeline coming across their home. The court last weekend was to uh, try and delay the cutting of our trees, which they haven't got all the permits they need, but they want to start cutting trees uh, because they've got a small window of time where they can do it from February till March. So they want to do it now uh, because they've got 300 miles to come across Virginia with this swath of tree cutting. Their window of time is hindered because the bats come out and nest. So they need to cut all the trees before. Betty Werner lives a short drive from the Bernards in Franklin County, and her family farm is also under siege by the Mountain Valley Pipeline. She explained that the reason MVP needs to begin cutting trees as quickly as possible is to avoid disrupting certain habitats of the region's bat population, which comes out of hibernation after March 31st. And there premises that fallen trees and FERC backs them up doesn't constitute land disturbance. Right. But, you know, all these trees cut, definitely going to change the way the rain falls and where it goes. And there's a beautiful bird's nest, a big bird's nest in one of the trees. The court case for the nearly 300 landowners began at 9 a.m. on Friday, January 12th in the Roanoke Federal Courthouse. Betty was there along with her family, the Bernards, and dozens of supporters from across the counties and the state, including Bent Mountain resident Jenny Chapman. I was just really proud of everybody that came and bore witness to it. And it was also really good to see that cadre of lawyers all lined up. Boy, there were maybe a dozen of them. It was like, here comes the cavalry. Yay. <laughs> and it wasn't just landowners. There were people from Roanoke who, who get it, who realize, hey, we all live downstream. Let's go fight the fight. Fight, fight, fight. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. Catch all episodes from Season 1 at soundcloud.com slash pipelinepodcast. I'm Whitney Whiting. First question was, are you aware of what MVP's property, plans for your property are? I said, I certainly am. Anne and Steve Bernard were among those who arrived early at the Roanoke Federal Courthouse on January 12th to begin hearing the case brought before them and nearly 300 other landowners by Mountain Valley Pipeline. Though there was ample support and attendance, the day took a toll on nearly everyone, including Anne's husband, Steve. Steve had been planning on testifying that day, but he says a combination of factors got the better of him. Steve carries an oxygen tank with him to assist his breathing, which is compromised by a condition called COPD. And, you know, I have uh, difficulty breathing. And so uh, 
Well, we, we got to the courthouse a little before nine, and first thing we saw was two of those pipeline cops were in the parking lot, and it looked like they were situated where they could they could, they could look over at uh, at the Methodist Church where everybody was gathering, and also could see uh, the Poff buildings. Local landowners, defendants in the court case, had reserved space in a church across the street from the courthouse, so that they could gather for meals throughout the day. And they were just standing there, and it, you know, it kind of brought back seeing these guys, <laughs> surveyors coming on my property, and it kind of. It made me a little uneasy. Just as they had at the State Water Control Board meetings a month before, several landowners recognized private pipeline security amongst the crowd at the court hearing. I recognized one fellow, yes. The Roanoke Times, if you recall, came out to the Rileys when, they, when the surveyors came on their property. And the uh, safety officer uh, at the Rileys was the same fellow that was in the parking lot. And But, you know, I spoke to them, and they said, good morning, sir. I said, good morning, good morning, sir, you know. And there was nothing threatening about it, but it's just a flashback almost to seeing these guys come on to our property. So then when I crossed the street, there was a truck there with a generator. There diesel. was a big diesel Two generator. Diesel and it was, uh, the fumes sort of overcame me, and I went up the steps. By the time I got to the steps, I could hardly breathe. And I asked Ann just to get me inside. And everybody let me to the front of the line. Ian Riley was there at the door, and he said, come in, and there was a wheelchair there. So once I got there and inside, I'd had sort of an exasperation, I guess, a, a sort of a little pulmonary attack in a way. He was bent over double on, yeah. the, front, on the front porch. I was afraid, I was very afraid. Um, so, you know, I shouldn't have gone, but I had to go. I felt like I had to go. And, and then the weather was uh, you know, very damp and misty and sort of rainy. And one of the lawyers said, well, are you okay? Will you be able to testify? I said, I don't think I will, but Ann will. The day proceeded with testimony primarily from Robert Cooper, Senior Vice President of Engineering and Construction, who admitted while under cross-examination that he is not employed by MVP LLC, but is assigned to the MVP project by his employer of 15 years, EQT, one of the main holding companies of the pipeline. The testimony and cross-examination went on until nearly 8 p.m. when Judge Dillon asked that they reconvene on Saturday, a very uncommon request for federal courts. I told him the next day I would come. So at about 2.30, he got me up on the yeah, witness. Yeah. And like 10 minutes before I got up there, I knew it was coming, and my heart started beating so fast. It was like boom, 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 boom. I was feeling my pulse. I was doing deep breathing. I was afraid I was going to have a heart attack, you know. I considered briefly leaving, but I thought, no. I've waited too long to speak and I was once I got on the witness stand and was looking straight at my lawyer I was fine. When landowners took the witness stand on Saturday, many focused on the uncertainties over which land was actually being condemned, contending that many route adjustments were still being negotiated by MVP, 
that property lines had been improperly drawn, and that offers for compensation had at times been sent to the wrong people. Anne Bernard explained that she was confused by the map that MVP's lawyers presented to her, which was supposed to show the pipeline crossing her property. According to Anne, MVP's map did not include the placement of their house or studio in proximity to the proposed route. And I don't know if you heard me in court, but I said um, he held up the map and the, the defense lawyer, uh, I mean the uh, MVP lawyer, held up the map. And I said, that thing is so poorly drawn, I don't even recognize it. Um, Was your house on the map at that point? No, it, it's, not, it's not even shown on that map. It's not on there. So them, it's a bunch of, it's a crooked outfit. It's all about money. It's all they're interested in. They're not, they not willing to listen to landowners. Daniel Engel's parents own a farm on nearby Little Creek, a feeder to the Blackwater River, where they grow clover and harvest local honey. When I asked Daniel what he recalls from first learning of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, he lets out a big sigh. It's been so long I didn't bat for, bat for God. I know somebody stopped up there and said they was wanting to run a pipeline. At the time, we thought it was just going to be an 8 or 10-inch pipeline they could put in with a backhoe or something. And then we found out later that wasn't the case. So it was actually going through Floyd County to start with, and they got in touch with some of I think maybe Carolyn at first, and that's when we found out it wasn't just a eight or ten inch pipeline. And they wanted to talk about how much money they were going to lose if they didn't start this thing right away. Well, I found out they're not going to lose any money. Can you tell me more about that? About what you you didn't catch that when you was at the hearing. Well, I mean they they got this money and it's all in their subsidiary. Uh, companies, MVP doesn't, doesn't have any money, supposedly. No employees. And I mean, even some of the lawyers was talking about that. I told myself, so it me like somebody needs to go to jail. And they agreed. During the court case against landowners, Mountain Valley claimed that if they did not begin tree cutting on these parcels by February 1st, they would face irreparable harm due to lost work time, lost contracts, and lost revenue. Lawyers for the landowners argued that MVP LLC would lose no money. It would be the parent companies that would be responsible. The lawyers also pointed out that a delay in construction along these particular holdouts of the route could be mitigated by beginning construction on the 85% of land that they do have easements for. feelings on on the phrase irreparable harm what does that mean to you <laughs> to me it means if you cut a tree that's irreparable because that tree cannot be replaced <laughs> for 40 50 years especially oaks um, that's that's the harm to the farm and if the farm ceases its operation that's irreparable we're not going to repair it here. Yeah. Um, it's lost and gone. 
Uh, I just pray that because of the long delay that it's given her a chance to study all sides and that she will, uh, you know, rule in our favor, which is not allow access. The point is, it's our community, it's our water, and we want to be supportive of each other. So it was really good to see people come together like that. And then at recess, and then at recess it was hard. It was hard to go out and look at my friends and look them in the eye and, you know, you just see what loss, what loss is there and, and sorrow and our, our lives just being so disruptive, disrupted, excuse me. So that, that part was hard. For landowners, waiting for the decision by Judge Dillon was also hard. I spoke to Carolyn Riley about what the interim had been like for her and her family, and what the judge's decision means for pipeline fighters going forward. Uh, it's been awful. Like, I just can't imagine how other landowners have felt. After much anticipation of waiting and waiting, and when is this decision going to come out, uh... The decision was not um, what maybe any of us expected um, because, you know, I honestly thought it would be in our favor or not in our favor, you know, like either really, really terrible or really wonderful. She did not grant them immediate possession, which there, which was their injunction that they had filed and, and asked for immediate possession of all these properties to start by February 1st and they didn't get it and that's that's the good news of it a further requirement in the judge's ruling was that MVP would need to do thorough appraisals of every parcel they intended to take possession of so that an appropriate bond amount could be determined before possession of the land MVP would be required to provide a scheduled within seven days of how they would do the appraisals of all 296 properties. It feels like it will be pretty impossible for MVP to, to start cutting trees on, our, on all these parcels and, and get it done before the March 31st deadline that they have. The hope is that this is enough of a delay and enough hurdles for the company that they're pushed back to not be able to start construction until November. Carolyn's mother, Betty Werner, who co-owns their farm in Franklin County, explained what a delay in construction would mean for their family. Uh, a delay, a non, not immediate start, not immediate access, would allow us as a family farm, a family business, to look at this growing season, which starts in March and ends in November, you know, we have pigs down here, we have the broilers down here, moving them every day, the whole, fa the whole length of the pasture. We have the cows down here. The delay would give us a chance to have the season, plus be looking to what we're going to do once they begin. But as we said at the beginning of this episode, the trend has been for bad news to follow good news. And more bad news came to landowners along the MVP, on Friday, February 9th, when they learned that Judge Dillon had issued a new order allowing MVP surveyors to access property, not to cut trees, 
but to survey and mark the trees in the pipeline path, moving them one step closer to construction. I felt like everything hinged on this judge. And only until Wednesday, the 31st, prior to knowing that a decision had been made, did I have this epiphany-type moment of why am I placing so much power into this judge's hands as far as deciding what my future is and what I'm choosing to do for my family, with my life, with my friends, on my land. And that night after I got home from a class, that decision was made, and it almost was like, okay, well, I've made some decisions too, you know, and I didn't need to wait for that to make them. So prior to any government decision or any powers that be that we have the power of choice, and that is a gift that we have as human beings, really. Like Lainey said, they're wasting no time. The process has begun, and it's up to you to decide what you want to do about it. Yeah. I mean, what can we do? We just keep pushing and pushing, and people say, well, you know, do you have hope? And I've thought about this a lot, and I've thought, do I have hope? I'm not sure what hope is anymore, you know? I sure as hell don't want to see this happen. But do I have hope that it won't? I think what I have now is pragmatism. It's just a, a hunker down and do what you have to do and don't think about anything else. Does that make any sense at all? You know, it's just a thought of, I can't think about the bigger picture. Uh, down here, it's down, the devil is in the details, and we just have to do what comes our way and just not think about anything else and just push on. And people have said, well, do you think you're doing any good? Do you think you're going to stop this thing? And I think, I don't know what will happen. I have no idea. But I do know that whatever happens, I'm going out with a clean conscience. And that might be the best that any of us can expect. I don't know. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting with support from friends and listeners across the state and mid-Atlantic. Special thanks for this episode goes to Jenny Chapman, Betty Werner, Carolyn Riley, Daniel Engel, and Anne and Steve Bernard. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. If you're just catching up on the issue of pipelines in Virginia, go to soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast to binge on everything you might have missed. <laughs>